I understand there's a little bit of a football game this afternoon. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Not, not only is it football season, but it is also cross country season. It's running season. All right. Yeah, we got some runners here in the front row. All right. Yeah. Yes, it is running season. And I, over the years, have had this kind of love-hate relationship with running, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a bad dating relationship, you know? Like one, one month you're on and one month you're off. And I don't know where I'm at with running right now. I think we, like, hate each other, okay? But um, so last week, we, uh, our family participated in the Keys 5K run up in Kewaskum. We have a site up in Kewaskum. After the gathering up there, we all participated in the run together. And uh, my wife afterwards asked me, she said, so how, how did it go? How, how'd you do? And I said, I set a new personal record. I don't think I've ever run a 5K that slow in my entire life. Okay? I just I don't think it's ever happened. And, and so, but my wife is she is the the girls coach one of the coaches for the east girls cross country team and every year what they do uh, on their cross country team is they pick a motivational saying uh kind of a, a kind of a running saying so that when you're practicing and you're training and you're out there and you can't take another step you can read the t-shirt the back of the t-shirt of the person in front of you and find inspiration and motivation to keep going right you know so what i did is i i so we're talking about the keys to life i went on the internet and found some inspirational running saying so i thought we could kind of be inspired by some of these well, first of all, to give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. Okay, I've seen this on the back of a t-shirt. Okay, that's by Steve Perfontaine, who's like, he's the, like the guru of long distance runners, I guess. And then the next one, I like, um, you don't have to be great to start, but you do have to start to be great. Yeah! Doesn't that get you going, you know, when you don't want to go out there and go running? Yes, I like that. And uh, this one, running is the greatest metaphor for life because you get out of it what you put into it. By that great long-distance runner, Oprah Winfrey, you know. <laughs> so, and then, uh, and then the last one. This is mine. They said it couldn't. I couldn't do it. They said the road was too long. The journey too arduous. They were oh, dry heaves. Hang on. You know, that's that's my quote. You know. And I think what these running quotes uh, kind of remind us of, and the fact is that there is actually no lack to uh, advice out there. There's no vacuum in the world of, of giving uh, advice and quotes and philosophy and, and, and motivation to life and what life is all about. Okay, we're concluding a very short series today, only two weeks, called The Keys to Life. And if I were to ask any of you, what do you think the key to life is? How would you answer that? What is the key to life? If someone who respects you, who loves you, were to come up to you and say, say, Mom, Dad, what, what would you say is the key to life, to living life well? Grandpa and Grandma, if your grandchildren were to come up to you and say, what, Grandpa and Grandma, what is the key to life? How do you think you would answer that question if you were to sum it up in a few short sentences? I've heard uh, a few during my life. You know, life isn't about finding yourself. It's about creating yourself. I saw that on a plaque one time. Uh, you should set goals beyond your reach so that you always have something to live for. This is one that we have hanging in our house. It says, if you think of others first, your life will be sweet. If you think of yourself first, your life will be sour. 
This is life's written guarantee. Okay, this is given to us from a friend of ours at this church. We have it hanging in a very prominent place so that everybody can see it every day. No one has yet to really obey it, but they do see it uh, every every day, you know. And um, there there may be a kernel of truth to each one of these, but in the end, I think I would say they eventually fail to deliver kind of a comprehensive rule of life that guides a person on how we might live before God, before others. And before ourselves. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ this morning, who consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus, Jesus Christ, we tend to direct our attention not to the internet, not to Pinterest for our motivational sayings, for our, for our motivational quotes, but to the ancient scriptures, to these ancient scriptures that have proven throughout generations to be a source of wisdom, to be a source of, of, of motivation, to be a, a compass for life for generations after generations. And if you were to, to kind of see, is, is there like a, a, a running t-shirt quote, you know, that you could put on the, on the back of the t-shirt. So as you're running through the course of life and you're getting tired and you're, 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 you're kind of off track and stuff like that, is there something that you might put on the back of a t-shirt that if you're looking at the person in front of you could kind of be inspired by? And there actually is a quote that, that we could kind of look for as a keys to life and living life well. It's found in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. God says this. He says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, who here does not want to be prosperous and successful? Raise your hand. No, I would say we, if you would raise your hand, we'd probably usher you out the door. No, uh, you, we all want to be prosperous and successful. No, what do the scriptures mean when they use that phrase prosperous and successful? I would say that it doesn't mean that God wants each and every one of us to be uber wealthy or that we're not ever going to have problems in our life, but that in general, life is just going to work for us. It's going to go well. There's going to be harmony and integrity in our relationships. Okay? We're going to experience the blessings of God, which the Old Testament refers to as the shalom of God. And what, what the scriptures are talking, telling us is that if we live under the rule and reign of God, as we make the scriptures our authority, we then begin to experience the rule, we begin to experience the blessings of God. You can't experience the blessings of God, the shalom of God, if you do not allow yourself to live under the rule and reign and authority of God in the scriptures. So with the scriptures themselves say that the keys to life are found in this Bible. So where would we begin if we were to find, you know, kind of the, the keys to life in the scripture? I mean, this is a pretty big book, right? There's a lot of good stuff in here. I mean, the, the teachings of Jesus are in, are in here. It's kind of hard to improve on that, right? And, and then you have the Apostle Paul, who's the most brilliant theologian who ever lived. And he, he has these powerful, powerful discourses there in his, in his letters. But I would submit to you that even Jesus, when he was in the crucible of life, when he was facing one of his toughest challenges, one of his toughest trials, he didn't go to himself for his own source of motivation. He actually went and turned his attention towards the Old Testament scriptures time and time again. And the exact place where he would turn to when he needed inspiration, when the chips were down, when the going got tough, and when he was facing one of the biggest trials of his life, were these 
first 11 chapters in the book of Deuteronomy. So I want to encourage you to find in your Bibles the book of Deuteronomy. You will find it on page 133 if you have one of those brown Bibles in front of you. And I would submit to you that perhaps, perhaps, if the Son of God felt that it was important to go to the book of Deuteronomy, and specifically these few chapters, maybe, just maybe, we might find some keys to life if we go there ourselves. Now, in order to understand uh, the book of Deuteronomy, it helps to understand a little bit of the context. The context is this. The people of Israel, which are the, the, really the unique nation of God, are, have just come to the end of a long and arduous journey. Okay? It's been a 40-year journey, to be exact. They have been wandering in the desert for 40 years because 40 years prior to what we're going just about to read today, they got to the very edge, to the very boundary, to the very barrier of the land that God had been promising to them for generation after generation after generation, okay? And they got to the boundary, the border of this land, and they sent in the drones, and they sent in spies, and they spied it out. They didn't have drones back then, I'm just kidding. But they sent in spies to spy out the land, and the spies came back, and they said, it is a really, really good land. We saw some of the produce. It's amazing, but then, then, at that point, the children of Israel make the disastrous decision to let fear be the motivating factor in making decisions and not faith in their Lord God. And they make the disastrous decision to say, no, we can't go in there. We can't destroy them. They'll overpower us. And they fail to believe what God had been saying for years and years and years and generations after generations. And God essentially says to them at that point, he says, okay, <laughs> you won't live under my rule and reign. You are not going to experience the blessings that I have for you in this land. And you guess what? You're all going to wander in the desert for 40 years. And then every single one of you who is 20 years old or over, you're going to die in the desert. And then 40 years later, your children and your grandchildren are going to come back here and they will then be the ones to come into the land. And now, this is where we're at. Their grandchildren and children are now back at the border, uh, the barrier of the land that they're giving. And God is saying to them now, okay, let's do this again. And please, please, let's get it right this time. Okay? Let's do this well. Let's, let's do it my way. And this is what God says to them in these few chapters, or these verses. Chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. He says, and now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. For your own good. Can you hear the hope and the, the kind of the pain mingled together in God's voice here. He says, almost like a parent sending their kid off to college when he says to him, okay, now please go and I hope that you make right decisions. I hope that you do it well. You, the, the parent, they know all the kind of disastrous decisions that they can make and all sorts of consequences that, that, that can happen if they don't do things well, if they fail to study, they get into all sorts of trouble. Then, and this is essentially... That's kind of the same situation that the Israelites are in right here. 
God is saying to them, he says, I am giving you a second chance now. These are the keys to life. These are the things that I've commanded you. And if you do them, you will live long in the land. You will succeed. You will prosper. You'll have a wonderful life, an abundant life that, that I'm giving to you. And, and the big idea for this you know, kind of whole sermon, if you want to encapsulate it, is that fearing the Lord your God is not only appropriate, it is the beginning of all wise and good living. Fearing the Lord is not only the appropriate thing to do, it is the beginning of all wise and good living. Now, some of you might balk at this idea and say, really, there's, there's really no way that fear and love can coexist in the same thing. Okay, you know, that's not how it worked in my family growing up. There, there was no fear. But I would like to respectfully uh, disagree with you on that. I would say that any good parent-child relationship has this healthy mix of both love and respect and fear. That if you know as a child, if you do things, if you rebel, if you disobey, if you break the rules, there's going to be a healthy set of consequences for you to, to face, right? That's a set of any good parent-child relationship. And, and this was really brought home to me. I think fear and love can coexist in a relational context. When I was growing up, I had a, a, an Uncle Kenny. He was the fun uncle. Any of you have a fun uncle? Right? Yeah, you have the one uncle that's fun. Uncle Kenny was my fun uncle. And he was not only a fun guy, a great guy, but he was really, really wealthy. He had his own company, his, and, and he would, had his own private jet. He would fly up to Milwaukee, pick us up, and then fly us back down to Waco, Texas, Waco, Texas, you know. And, and then we'd have to show us all sorts of good time down there and do crazy things. And I remember one time, I was eight years old, and my twin brother and I were flown down to Waco to spend some time with Kenny and his family. And we were going whitewater rafting there in, in Texas. And, uh, and on the way, way to the, the destination, we stopped at a gas station. Everyone kind of loaded up on chips and, you know, goodies and stuff like that. And I was sitting next to my two cousins who were quite a bit older than me in the back seat, Kip and Mark. And Kip and Mark knew that I loved pickles, okay? So when they were at the gas station, they took it upon themselves to buy a small jar of pickled jalapeno peppers. And so we're in the backseat of the car, and they say to me, say, Mike, they pull this jar of, of jalapeno peppers. They're like, Mike, you like pickles, don't you? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I love pickles. They're like, try one of these pickles. You'll love it. Just take a big bite out of this thing and just chomp on it. You just love it. So trusting as I was at eight years old, I took out one of those peppers, took a big bite out of it, chomped on it. And then I'm like, and my uncle Kenny turns around. And he goes, what's going on back there? And I'm like, Kip and Mark, they told me it was a pickle by a hot pepper. And my uncle Kenny, he pulls over the car, stops the car, turns around and he says, Kip, Mark, Finish the jar. And they're like, Dad, no. And he's like, I'm not driving any further until you two finish that jar. And the two of them start eating these jalapeno peppers and chewing them. And I can look back and I can see the tears going down there. And, and see, up until that time, I loved Uncle Kenny. And I still loved Uncle Kenny, but I knew something new. I began to fear Uncle Kenny, too. See, Love and fear can coexist 
together. And you can just imagine the children of Israel at this point. God is saying, now I want you to love me and I want you to fear me. Now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart. And you can just imagine these children of Israel, they're going, oh yeah, uh uh-huh. We just got done uh, uh, doing a 40-year hike because our parents and our grandparents didn't fear the Lord enough to believe him and trust him and go into that land. Now, you says, now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul. Now, to a certain extent, there's a little bit of repetition going on here, okay? To fear the Lord your God is very similar to walk in his ways, which is very similar to love him, which is synonymous to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, which is just like to observe the Lord's commands. So there's a little bit of repetition going on here. When you begin to fear the Lord and love the Lord, you begin to understand that his ways are right, that his ways are best, and that he's the one who created the universe He set it into motion. He's the one who holds it into existence. And he's the one who knows best how it works and how we are to live in it. And that when we step outside of those ways, step outside of those rules that he has for us, things don't go well for us. Now, the, the, the commands of God, the, the, the laws of God are, are, can be related to an umbrella. They can be compared to an umbrella. When you're under the umbrella and it's raining out, you stay dry, right? But when you stray outside from under that umbrella, you're bound to get wet. And sometimes people stray from outside that umbrella and they get wet and they get all upset and edged and they're like, why did I get wet? Well, You strayed from outside underneath the umbrella of God's commands. You're just going to get wet. And when we stray from God's commands and the way that he set up the universe, things will go poorly for us. This was brought home to me when um, we were uh, on a short-term missions trip to Mexico in Cancun. We were ministering to the uh, resort staff. Of the, no, we actually, we weren't on a short-term mission trip. We were on vacation, okay? And, uh, and, and we were there on vacation, and uh, the kids were a little bit younger than they are now, and uh, we were all lathering up that first day, putting on sunscreen, and, uh, and I'd say, say to my son, Luke, who was, at that time was 14 years old, so he knew everything. Uh, he's gotten much wiser since then. Um, he, I'm like, Luke, hey, let's, we're going to put on sunscreen. The sun is hot. And he's like, no, I'm good. No, look, it's, you're, you're gonna get burned if you put on, if you don't put on sunscreen. You're, it's February, we're all pasty white, you go out into the sun like this, and you are going to get burned. No, 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 I'll, I'll, I'm good. Now, I, there's probably other ways to deal with this as a parent. I could have said, okay, you're not going outside till you put on sunscreen. That would have been one option. But I wanted Luke to understand that there are consequences to choices, and to not listening to advice. And so I said, okay, have at it. That evening, we could hear Luke whimpering in his bed. <laughs> what happened? He thought that he knew better. And he faced the consequences of that. The sun is dangerous. And God is saying, don't think that you know better than me. Okay? If you do, 
There will be normal and natural consequences. And I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to get damaged. I want you to do the right thing. And if you fear me to the point that you will say, I don't ever want to stray from God's commands because I know that that will just end up in disaster. That's, you begin to understand what it means to fear the Lord. Fearing the Lord is not only appropriate, it is the beginning of all wise and good living. Now, one common misconception that people have about uh, the Bible, about the scriptures, is that there's essentially two gods in the Bible. There's the God of the Old Testament, who's kind of wrathful and vengeful and holy and spiteful, right? And then there's, then we get to the New Testament, and Jesus kind of brings out God's inner child, right? And he becomes, you know, you know, kind and compassionate and forgiving and stuff like that. How many, have you ever heard that before? I mean, if, if some, maybe some of you have thought that maybe perhaps. Well, I know that I say this a lot, okay? But this time I really mean it. Nothing could be further from the truth, okay? There are not two gods in the, in the whole of the Bible, the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. They are the same God. He is consistent throughout the entire scriptures. In fact, in the Old Testament, the scriptures say many, 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 many more times about God's compassion, his mercy, his forgiveness, his kindness. And they outnumber the verses that talk about his anger and his wrath and, uh, and his jealousy, stuff, stuff like that. But beyond that, beyond that, Jesus, who comes along in the New Testament, also talked about the fear of the Lord. He said this in Luke 12. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that can do more, no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing the body, has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus is saying that we should have such a high regard for God and his power and his authority that we should put him as the highest allegiance in our lives, more so than what we think about what people do, that we're not going to do things that impress or please people, that we want to impress and please God. Not only does, it, does Jesus talk about the fear of the Lord, but David in the Old Testament says this in Psalm 111. He says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding, Psalm 111. After David came his son Solomon. Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs that we have in the Old Testament. And in Proverbs chapter 9, we read this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There it is again. Where do you think he got that from? He got that from his father David in Psalm 111. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What, this is the point, folks. It, the fear of the Lord is not some isolated idea that's tucked away in the book of Deuteronomy. It's found all over the Bible. This is a key concept in the Bible. Fearing the Lord is not only the appropriate thing to do, it is the beginning of all wise and good living. Do you want to live life well? Do you want life in general to go well for you? Do you want to have a life that works and is successful? The scriptures consistently affirm that the doorway into this kind of life begins with loving and fearing the Lord. Listen, now this isn't prosperity gospel. This isn't saying that if you fear the Lord that you're going to be uber rich and you're never going to have any problems. You know, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the fact that if we want to experience 
the blessings that God has for us, the blessed life, the shalom of God, it begins by having such a high regard and reverence for the Lord that we would be terrified of straying out from under his commands, that we have a healthy respect and fear of the Lord. And it looks like observing his commands. So some of you might be asking, what, what does this look like? Are, are we to become Old Testament, you know, Jews now? Is that what it looks like? Well, not, not exactly. Not exactly. Although reading the Ten Commandments might not be a, a bad place to start. Reading the first 11 chapters of Deuteronomy uh, is certainly not going to hurt things at all. That's a great, great place to start. But it, actually, there's a group of people who were asking Jesus the exact same thing in John chapter 6. They, they came to Jesus and they said, hey, listen, what, what exactly is it? That God wants us to do. What is it that, that God requires of us? They ask, that's Jesus here. They said, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered this. He says, this is, this is the work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent. That's the beginning of everything. You want to fear the Lord. This is a perfect first step is to believe that Jesus was the unique Son of God sent by God into the world to live the perfect life, to die the perfect death as a payment for our sins, and then now lives eternally for us, interceding for us, and also can live inside of us if we would simply bow the knee to Him and make Him the leader and the Lord of our life. If we do that, that's a good step, good beginning to understanding what it means to fear the Lord. And when we do that, things begin to go well for us in general. For the last uh, several months, I've had the the privilege of working with um, some friends from Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery is um, the recovery group that we have here at Kettlebrook on Wednesday nights. It's for anybody who deals with a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up which means to me that you're also human as well. So hurt habits and hang-ups, which in essence means we're all in some sort of recovery. And there's some of my friends in this, this group, Celebrate Recovery, have really had some hard things. And it's primarily come because of disastrous choices that they have made. And it has ended up in their lives of them bottoming out and coming to a point where they just give up and raise the white flag and say, I surrender. I'm just making a mess of my life. And they wouldn't use this verbiage perhaps, but what they have done is they have not lived in the fear of the Lord and life has not gone well for them. The result is relational strife, divorce, oftentimes poverty. They can't hold down a job. But when they raise the white flag and they bow the knee to King Jesus things begin to turn around. They begin to reconcile with the people they've hurt. They begin to hold down a job again. And things begin to work for them. I was talking to my friend Tim just uh, last Saturday. And he's like, why would I want to go back to drugs? Why would I want to do that? Things are good with the wife. Things are are good with the in-laws. I've got a solid job now. Things are just going well. Exactly. You begin to understand what it means to fear the Lord. 
and to observe his commands and walk in his ways. If you were to come up to me and you were to say, say, Mike, 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 what, what is, what is the key to life? Mike, what is the key to life? I would turn to Deuteronomy and I would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and to fear the Lord. If you do those things, life in general will work for you. And you'll begin to live under the shalom and blessing of God. And then, and then, when things begin to change in your life and things begin to work well, and people say, what's, they say to you, what's the difference? What's, what's made the difference? You can point to King Jesus and you can say, you know what? I have bowed the knee to King Jesus and I have pledged allegiance to him. And I have found that when he calls the shots in my life, he gets it right every single time. Let's pray. Father God, we want to be a people who understand what it is not only to love you, but also to fear you. We acknowledge that we live in a society, in a day, in an age where we have emphasized your love and your compassion and your kindness so much that we've begun to become casual with you. We've become a bit cavalier with you. And we've forgotten what it means to actually fear the Lord. To understand that when we stray from you, when we stray from your commands, there's, there's all sorts of disastrous consequences for us. And we pray that we would hear your voice calling out to us from Deuteronomy chapter 10. Please, please get it right. I have a wonderful life for you. A life of joy, of fullness, of shalom, the shalom of God. Where things go well for you. Pray for each person in this room that they might take a step into that life that you have for them. That they might bow the knee to King Jesus. They might be able to point to him and say, when he calls the shots, he gets it right every single time. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.